So this is from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you for reading that so beautifully, Janet. Can we pray with me, please? Uh, Lord, you've led us each each one of us uh, here this morning. And thank you for that. And as we come into this holy presence, may we be touched, converted, changed, transformed, and sent out in the power of your spirit. Amen. So, when Jesus was born in Judah in the days of King Herod, Magi from the east uh, arrived in Jerusalem. So, I couldn't walk past it. In of all places, uh, hairdressers, uh, is that what you call them nowadays, uh, you know, when I was a youth, we called them barbers, but, you know, hair technicians, whatever. In, in Alma Road, in, in, I'd just been preaching in Alma Chapel, and I came out, and there it was in the window. A knitted nativity. I'm a sucker for them. I mean, we can't afford one. They're, they're very expensive. We've just got wood ones that we've just put up in the window. But there it was. I wish I'd taken a photograph, I could put it up on the screen, because it was a really, it was a, it was a beauty, it really was. But when I be- went back next week to take a photograph, they'd removed it. Perhaps there had been complaints. Perhaps, you see, some pedant hadn't thought that all the animals were appropriate. I mean, there was a, a, a donkey and a cat and a dog. Okay, there's no problem with them. But there were, as well as these expected animals, unusually, never seen it before, in striking pink with little curly tails. 
which you can do with knitted nativities. You can't do with wood, can you? Not so easily. For pigs. Okay. Now, why might that be a problem? Ah, ah, exactly so. This is it. This is the word, or one of the words. Um, you know, if, if you read the Old Testament, um, you'll discover that on several places, it says that the pig, because it doesn't chew the cud and parts the hoof, that's the reason given anyway, is an unclean animal. You can't eat it. You can't sacrifice it. Uh, it's, it it's not some, no bacon sandwiches, okay? Not for people of Jewish heritage, anyway. It's all right for us non-Jews, that's no problem, but for those bound in covenant on Sinai, pigs is unclean. No porkers. So perhaps somebody had thought this was disrespectful, I don't know. And they'd taken it down. I wish if that was the reason, they'd asked me. Font of all knowledge, of course. <laughs> for you see, I, I think this is incredibly subtle and... Um, really insightful, uh, as we scholars like to say, exegesis, an understanding of what's going on in the scriptures. Because that nativity, like most of them, included three figures in exotic dress, presenting gifts to the baby Jesus. And if it would be wrong to have a small herd of pigs near the king of the Jews, then having the Magi there, and as Scripture has told us, they were there, is actually even more offensive. Even more wrong. How come? Who were they? And why shouldn't they have been there? Well, Magi may not have been kings, but they were toffs. They were sort of cross between a pagan bishop and a university professor. They were held in great esteem in their homeland, probably in what we now call Iraq, almost certainly actually in the great ancient city of Babylon, which was the center of the Magi. See, even Herod is very respectful of them, isn't he? He doesn't say, well, go home, you wretched foreigners. They were, they were scholars and they were scientists. They knew the wisdom of the ancients. They'd all been trained to read the great ancient language of Sumer, to decipher what we call cuneiform writing, this strange wedge-shaped writing, which you may have seen in museums. They were highly trained observers of the heavens. And they had mastered an extremely complex mathematics. Indeed, we now know that 2,000 years ago, before Isaac Newton, the Magi of Babylon had developed a form of the calculus. You know, that bit in mathematics I never understood. You have to calculate the areas under graphs. And they used that calculation to determine the transit of one of the most important objects for them in the night sky, the planet Jupiter. 
which they associated with Enlil, the great god. And also the number 60. And that was the root of their mathematics. Not 10, but 60. And if you think all this is irrelevant, look at your watch or your, iPhone, your phone. Because if you've ever wondered why there are 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour and 360 degrees in a circle, well, the answer is because the Magi measured time like that. And this, this piece of Deutsche Wertarbeit on my, on my wrist, I carry Babylon with me, as do most of us. You see, throughout the ancient world, the people thought that the night sky was a great screen on which the gods wrote messages telling us what was going to happen. Some of these messages from the gods were easy. I mean, when the dog star rises, you plant the barley. Everybody could work that one out. But what if there was something strange and unexpected? What if there was a comet or a bright new star or a meteor? Well, then you called in the experts. Step forward, the Magi. That was their great skill, their great knowledge, interpreting the night sky. And there's a name for this skill. It's called divination. And this divination, so valued, so important, in all the world, in all the ancient world, the thing about it is it's roundly condemned in Scripture. For example, in Deuteronomy 18.14, the Israelites are told that they must not be like the Canaanites who lived in the land before them. Now, the Canaanites were amateurs about divination compared to the Magi. But even so, these nations which you are about to dispossess, the Canaanites, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord, your God, has not allowed you to do this. Indeed, earlier, divination is called an abomination. It's a strong word, isn't it? Abomination. Abominable. It's not just for snowmen. So what are these diviners... These abominable magi doing in the stable with the baby Jesus. What right have they to be there? The answer is none at all. And neither do we. Neither does anyone. That's why that knitted nativity was so right to include some pigs around the cradle. It shows a very profound understanding of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God is saying that nobody can be kept away from his presence because others, or even more troublingly, they themselves think that they are the wrong sort, unclean, abominable, 
God is calling all humanity, even perhaps especially the ones others think should be kept out, to follow the star where they can find Jesus. In fact, nobody, nobody has a right to come to Jesus. You can't earn the right to come into his presence by your good deeds. We are brought into the presence of Jesus because Jesus shows us the way, unites us to himself, and washes away everything in us that is unclean through his blood. I started my banking career in the great city of Leeds. Now, I'm not a Yorkshireman, but I was raised in the county. Any Yorkshireman here? Yorkshire woman, Janet, I knew it. No wonder you can read. Yes, it was a great time, and um, I discovered a friend from college um, just walking around, the, working around the corner from me. He was a cub reporter on the Yorkshire Post. And we used to meet on Friday nights in the Brahms and List. It's a public house. <clears throat> um, and one of his roles was to do the Mother Shipton column. Remember the Mother Shipton column in the Yorkshire Post, Janet? Oh, okay. It, it, it was the, like the Mystic Meg. It was the fortune-telling column, the horoscope. And I'm, see, you see, this is confessional time. You see, I'm abominable because I helped him write it. <laughs> Every Friday night, we wrote the week column. And there were lots of tall, dark, handsome strangers. We knew the drill. Well, I laugh, and it was the, the sin of youth, perhaps. But... You know, who knows? There are actually, unfortunately, people who believe this nonsense. Maybe I led somebody astray. <laughs> I don't know. I know I haven't got a right to be here. I know I have done things and have been a person who should not be here were it not for the grace of Jesus Christ. We might think, you know, that there are some people beyond the pale who really aren't fit to stand before Jesus. We might even think that we ourselves are so messed up, he wouldn't want us near him. No matter what we think or feel, because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is nobody, nobody, no matter how unclean, in the world's eyes, who cannot come to him if they only want to and accept his leading. If we aren't a little shocked by this, well, we should be. The first Christians, and let's remember, all the first Christians were of Jewish heritage. <laughs> the very first Christians. No bacon sandwiches, no getting too close to messed up Gentiles were more than a little shocked when as they talked about Jesus, 
some non-Jews heard. And when they heard about what Jesus shows us of God's love, when they heard that God had raised Jesus from a shameful death, made him Lord of all the earth, and that he was coming again in glory, those non-Jews wanted to come to Jesus. And pretty soon, thousands of them were following him. The Magi were the first fruits. But there is something else we mustn't forget. There was a lot of stuff that non-Jews did that really wasn't what God wanted. The Jews were right to say that because the Jews had God's law and its teachings, they knew better than non-Jews what God wanted. And they were often able to avoid the stuff that messes up people's life because of that knowledge. <laughs> Only sometimes, because yeah. <laughs> they couldn't and didn't claim to be perfect. They were sinners like all of us. But they had God's law, and they knew a different way. Whenever anybody, Jewish or non-Jewish, came into the presence of Jesus, they pretty soon found that they couldn't go on with the old ways. They had to change. They had to find out what God wanted, and they had to live in a completely different way. And it's the same today. If we come to Jesus, we can't go on living in the same old, messed up way. We have to change. Was that true of the Magi? Well, we aren't told everything. But we are told that they went back to their own country a different way. You couldn't ask, you couldn't ask for a better picture of the change, the transformation that must happen when we find Jesus and worship him truly. Lavishing on him all that is most precious in our lives. We must return to our Father's house, the heavenly country, which is our true home, by another way. It, when Jesus is near, we discover for the first time where we should be going, but also we realize we have to travel in a different way. So, some questions for us. I think I've got them on the screen. In the week ahead, with the knitted nativity, just to remind you, if anybody's thinking of a generous Christmas present, um, <laughs> see people knitting away here. <clears throat> just a thought. <clears throat> Have we taken for granted our privilege of standing in God's presence? Is that just something we think, oh, well, yes, I go to church habit I've got? Or are we conscious of the astonishing privilege we have of standing in his presence? Do we regard some other people 
as beyond the pale. Unclean. Abominable. Is there an unlikely person who we might help to bring to Jesus this Advent, or indeed at any time, perhaps by inviting them to an Alpha course? (laughs) And what changes still need to be made in our lives as we journey home? Guess those will be up on the website, will they? God bless you.